Hey, good morning. It's good to see y'all. It's my home church. I want to tell you what God's been doing in my wife and I's lives this last several years. Um, I did get the call from God to wake up the church about nine years ago, and God just kept birthing new vision and new revelation, new vision, new revelation. So now what we're doing as a ministry is we're actually planning nine churches right now. We have one in Boise, Idaho. We have two in Israel. We have one in Kentucky, one in Illinois, and four in Texas. And Chad said we're helping a sex trafficking ministry, and they're located in Nashville, Tennessee, and every county in Nashville sends all the people to our ministry, so it's pretty amazing. And then we're um, helping fund a school of ministry that helps people get ordained, learn how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're actually sponsoring 20 evangelists um, around the world, and... All said and told, I think we're helping 37 ministries right now in our little ministry. I used to, I'm just driving around the country in my truck, but we're giving away about $110,000 a month to other ministries every month. And it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome to see what God will do if you just say yes. If you just say yes. And you guys, I'm doing it out of your church. So you guys, when you get to heaven, you don't know it, but you got a surprise waiting on you because... We all get credit for what we're a part of, and I'm a part of you, and you're a part of our ministry. Isn't that awesome? And I have, I have vision for what God wants to do here in this church. Big vision. I think it's kind of scary almost, but you'll hear more about it from Pastor Chad. Um, God's going to do more here. Your church is going to influence and change this whole culture of Santa Maria. Um, going to be it's going to be awesome so I'm on vacation and we were driving here in our RV and you know we love being in our RV for five weeks and it, it, it broke down in Las Vegas and I was so looking forward to spending 10 days on the beach down there by Chad's house where every morning you wake up it's 55 degrees in the RV and when we broke down it was 115 and you know, we thought 115 was hot until we drove about 20 minutes towards here and it was 119. So then we thought 115 is not as bad as 119. <laughs> but anyway, we're here. But one, one thing I noticed, it was pretty amazing that if we hadn't have broke down, we wouldn't have met this girl that was walking along the road. And so we gave her a ride and blessed her and prayed over her. We would never have met Allison unless we broke down. So there's always a way God wants to use it. I have a theory. I don't think... I think it's okay to get discouraged, but I think it's a sin to stay discouraged. You know, you may get a call from the doctor and be discouraged. You may, you may have something happen in your marriage or your kids and be discouraged, but to stay discouraged means you're still looking on how things are affecting you, which is selfishness. Everything that happens to you, you shouldn't look what's happening to you. You should be looking for the way God can use it to help others to be experiencing what God's given you. So we can't stay in discouragement, okay? So anyway, that's not my sermon. Um, I told my wife today that I would preach 15 minutes. And I lied. I don't know how to do it, honey. I'm sorry. I don't know how. But I want to talk about our covenant that we're in. And I think our covenant is for our forgiveness, and our salvation eternally. But I also think it's about our healing temporarily. I don't think we can separate the covenant. Amen? I, I, I believe that um, when we take communion, the, the bread was for the body that was broken so our bodies could be healed. And when we take the cup of the new covenant, the blood was for the remission, the cleansing of our sins so that our souls and spirits could live forever. And so I don't think we can separate healing from forgiveness and salvation unless we want to develop a new form of theology that goes along with no power. Um, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, one time he came to this house that was really full, and it says the power of God was present to heal. I think that's funny that it said that, 
Because it was always present on Jesus to heal. He always had the power because he always had the Holy Spirit. And that is the power. That's, that's a question. If God is recording our life right now in our books that are being written in heaven about us, is every day written on our book the power was present to heal on them? I hope it is. I hope when heaven looks down at us, they look at us and say, the power is on that guy, on that gal. Come on. You know, in John eleven forty, Jesus was talking to Mary and Martha, and he said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? And I think what that means, that verse is, if God could actually find a people that actually believed, we would actually see the glory and the glory is not far away. Colossians 1.27 says Christ is in us. The hope is we'll believe enough that we'll see that glory manifest and change our community and change our city and change people. So Jesus is in this room teaching and those guys cut a hole in the roof and they let that guy down and, and Jesus says, oh man, they got good faith. Your sins are forgiven. So that's our forgiveness, right? And then just a few minutes later, he says, which you think is easier, to forgive this man his sins or to get him up off the mat? Just so you know, I also have authority. Rise up. There's healing. You can't separate them, you guys. And so I just want to preach today on the fact that Jesus is the example of what our Christian walk should look like. And if we don't find it in Jesus, we probably ought to change our theology. Anything we can't find in the life of Jesus probably shouldn't be in our little theology as Christians. Amen? So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 3. Can you turn there? Turn to John chapter 3. I, I, I'm going to quote one more scripture before I start in John chapter 3. I love Psalms 103. The Lord just reminded me that when, when David wrote this psalm, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in, within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. John chapter 3, I'm just going to start reading and just make comments. I'm going to steal all this right out of the Bible so it's all secondhand. It's true. I don't have any ideas that come to me. I steal them from this. Okay. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Can I stop right there? Do people look at us at work? Do people look at us in our neighborhood and say, oh my, God must be with you because of the things that you're doing? That's the question I want us to think about the whole sermon. Is that okay? I think our lives should be exposing us to the world that we must be Christians because what we're doing only could happen if God was with us. A lot of people say, if somebody said to someone, hey man, it's amazing how God's using you. you you're a Christian, right? And our usual response would be, yeah, I go to church. I read my Bible, and I put in money, and I pray. Yeah, I do this, I do that. Jesus isn't impressed on talking about what he does. He was, only, he was only living for what the Father's influence and power was doing through him. Come on. He never tried to draw attention to himself. He always tried to reflect the Father, didn't he? Didn't he? In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen the Father except the Son who's in his bosom and makes him known. Jesus didn't come to make himself known. He came to make the Father known. He came to make the Father's heart known. And all of us as Christians should be making the Father's heart known. 
And if we're really making the Father's heart known, people will look at us and say, man, God must be with you. And if they're not, then probably we ought to rethink what we're doing. Amen? Hmm. God was with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to just say something here. When Jesus says, truly, truly, (laughs) you know he's truth. He's truth. But when he says, truly, truly, it's probably, it must be important for truth to say, truly, truly. I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me tell you my take on that verse. Unless you're really born again and become a new creation, you won't see what the kingdom of God's doing through you like Jesus saw what the kingdom was doing through him. You will not see what people saw in Jesus in your own life unless you're really a brand new creature. Listen, you can go to church your whole life and not see what the kingdom of God is capable of doing until you become born again. You know, I don't believe this as extremely as Leonard Ravenhill did, but Leonard Ravenhill believed that 95% of all people that come to church in America aren't even born again, which means the people that are really born again from his view would be the people on the first two rows here. And all the rest of us, come on, seriously. And he didn't get invited to a lot of churches. It says in Revelation that lukewarm people are spewed out of God's mouth. And so if you're really not on fire for Jesus, you're probably not even with Jesus. Am I right? Because wouldn't it literally be impossible to be lukewarm if you really were with Jesus? There's no such thing as a nominal Christian. We've just allowed ourselves to be comfortable not expressing the heart of the Father because we haven't really believed that it's possible for us to do it. Come on, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? And if we actually believe this Christ that lives within a real Christian would actually have an avenue to flow out of. Okay, let's keep reading. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? (laughs) He could, I'm old, look at my white hair. He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to ask him about that when I get to heaven, why he would say truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, let me make a comment about that. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. We know Jesus' experience when he was baptized in the water, remember? He came up out of the water and heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit came down on him. So not only was he baptized in water, but a moment later he was baptized in the Spirit. And that's when he started doing the supernatural works. Remember that? If you read the gospel accounts from the time Jesus was born until he was 30 years of age, he didn't do any miracles that were recorded. But the moment he was baptized in water and the Spirit, the rest of his life was nothing but a miracle. Remember what the last chapter of John says? If everything that Jesus did was recorded, there wouldn't be enough books. He was referring to the last three plus years when he was baptized in water and the Spirit. I got a theory about this water deal. There's a lot of symbolism in the Old Covenant because that's what the Old Covenant is. It points to what Jesus fulfilled, right? But let's take Noah, for instance. Noah plus seven others were saved through water. They came up out of water. Let's take the children of Israel passing the Jordan into the promised land. They were baptized through the water, and the enemy that kept them in bondage for 430 years was destroyed when they came through the water. Come on. How about a, how about a human a woman? My wife had four babies. And we never knew when the baby was coming until water showed up. Come on. Once the water broke, oh, baby's near. 
So, so I think water, being baptized, if you really are a Christian, you say, well, do I need to be baptized? That's a dumb question. Jesus said, be baptized and believe, and you'll say, you'll be saved. That's what he said in Mark 16, 16. He says, be baptized and believe, and you'll be saved. So we probably ought to be baptized. Come on. There's a lot of argument about that. Well, I don't know. I said a prayer. Well, Jesus said, get baptized, so it'd be easier to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? A lot of times we say, well, that's legalism. No, it's faith, because faith comes by hearing the words of Christ. And Christ said, be baptized and believe. So, so I got a feeling that when you're baptized in water, it's like the womb of God. And when a person goes down and they come up and that womb opens up and there's a splash and that person is presented to the world as a new baby, and I think the midwife that delivers every brand new Christian is the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit sees that baby boy or baby girl come up out of the water and says, look at Papa. It looks just like us. It has a family resemblance. Come on, you guys. I really believe that that's what God views when he sees somebody baptized. My friend Craig, a year and a half ago, went to Scotland Island and the British Isles for a three-week tour, and he toured where Wesley was, and he toured where George Mueller was, and he toured where Reese Howe was, and all these, he went to all these famous churches and graves and all this place, and he said he went to this one church and he missed it by 10 days. 10 days earlier, this man had been baptized and he'd come to Christ. And he'd been a, a gangbang type drug person that was just totally lost. And his body was totally covered with tattoos. And he was embarrassed to get baptized with his white t-shirt on because he didn't want people to see his tattoos. And when he was baptized and he came up out of the water, all the tab- tattoos were washed away. Come on, you guys. Now listen to me. I don't think God has to wash away tattoos, but I think from his perspective, once you're baptized and you come up out of that water, you're a brand new creation, man. And the old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new from his perspective. So I think we should be baptized in water, and I also think we should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't get baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's no way the power of God's resurrection is going to do the things that Jesus did through us and even greater. Amen? You guys with me so far? Let's keep reading through this chapter. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Let's stop right here. If you never get born again... All you're going to leave behind you is you. You'll have no legacy. But if you get born of the Spirit, now that means you've died to your own life and now you're alive in Christ. And that goes along with John 12, 24 through 26. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't give give forth new life. But if you give your life to God and let him put his life in you, Now you could maybe have a million seeds following after your kind. Come on, you guys. If we hold on to our life, that's all we have, and we lose it. But if we give our life and let God resurrect it, now it's his life, and there's no end to the potential of that life. Amen? Jesus said it like this in John 6, 63. He says, this flesh counts for nothing. It profits nothing. Only the spirit. That's why we need to die to ourselves and be crucified with Christ to where we no longer live. But the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Come on, you guys. Isn't this good preaching? <laughs> I stole it right out of the Bible, man. <laughs> so so let, let's just keep going. Um, I think I want to move down. I wanna, let's, talk, let's, let's pick it up at verse 12 because I'm going to... Try to get, I don't see a clock, but I'm going to try to get done. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I need to make a a perspective on that verse. This is talking about Jesus who came from heaven and became a human, you know, being born of a virgin and came out of Mary's birth canal and grew up as a a man, right? 
So this is referring to Jesus who's descended, but he hasn't yet ascended. He hasn't, he hasn't ascended yet until after the death, burial, and resurrection, and 40 days later, that's when he ascends. But what John is saying through the inspiration of Holy Spirit is Jesus really has ascended because he never left the spirit realm operating as a man in the human realm. And Jesus is the example of every Christian that we actually could live from the perspective that we're seated in heavenly places, right? Even though we have kids and diseases and finance problems and traffic and 119 degrees and breakdown RVs, listen, if Jesus could live by the spirit and it conquer the, the emotions in the flesh. And then he says, if anybody would dare come after me, come on, come on, take up your cross, deny yourself, and live by the Spirit and let it control your emotions in your flesh. If Jesus could do it as our example, he calls us all to the same standard. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why every time somebody came to Jesus for a miracle, he had a miracle to give them because he was always living from the perspective of where his Father's presence was. And he never lived from the perspective that I need to get God to come and help me in my trouble because he always lived above the trouble, even in the trouble. Come on. He was in the world even though he was not of the world. And he calls us to live that same way. Come on. This next verse is pretty amazing. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, that means in the same exact way, must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's a neat, that's a neat verse there, isn't it? Turn with me to Numbers 21. It's the fourth book of the Bible. And let's just see what that is kind of talking about. Numbers chapter 21. Let's start with verse 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became very impatient because of the journey. That, 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 that word impatient could be replaced selfish. Let me, just, let me just say something right here. Whoa, to my home church. Love is patient. Before it's kind, gentle, good, long-suffering, doesn't keep a record of wrongs. None of those things work unless you're first patient. The first manifestation of love is patience, which means you give God time and people time. You don't try to put people into your time because that's legalism. Come on. That's religious routine. Love is patient. And God has a course on patience. And depending how long your course is, depending on how much you'll become patient. Am I right? I think commercialized travel is commercialized impatience. That's why we get angry when we're at an airport and it's delayed two hours. We can't study our Bible, work on our presentation because we're worried about when we get on the plane. This whole group of people, like three million of them, they're grumbling and complaining in the next verse because they're impatient because they're tired of how long it's taking. They complained about everything. Let's just read the next verse. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up here out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. We hate this miserable food. That didn't go well for those people. I just want to point something out to you. They, now listen, they got to take all the gold and silver from Egypt with them so they didn't have any money issues. It says they never got sick. Their clothes didn't wear out. And they had free food and water every day. And it was only like 11 days to the mountain to worship and then a couple days after. So it was like a two-week walk, but because they weren't patient, because their souls weren't satisfied with what God was doing, they always longed for what they could get themselves, two weeks turned into 40 years. Come on. Why? Because they're grumbling and complaining. Philippians 2, 1 Corinthians 10 says we should never grumble or complain ever. Why? Because it could cause us to have to wait 40 years what God could do in two weeks. 
I'm preaching way better than everybody's acting except that lady right there, okay? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, what would, what would have happened if one of them got up and said, oh my word, it's here again. Look at this free bread. I don't know what it is. We can't describe it. It's what is it? And I have an opinion. It's, it's communion wafers. <laughs> I think that's what manna is. I think when you look at manna, I think it would be like fluffy little communion wafers all over the ground as far as the eye could see. Because nobody in this room can tell me what a communion wafer is made out of. <laughs> can you? When you grab it, you know, you take this in remembrance of me. It has a little cross on it so you feel a little better, right? But you put it in your mouth and where does it go? Does it go through the top, the tongue, or does it just disappear? We don't know what it is. I don't think you know what manna is. And so instead of being thankful, I have an opinion that if one family would have got up and said, Father, so thankful that you fed us again. I'm so thankful that you're providing every need that we have. I may not understand how long this journey is, but I'm going to be so grateful, God, because, man, you're supplying all of my needs. I think that family would have got out. Come on, love is patient, and love never fails, and love doesn't complain. And we're all called to become love, all of us, because God is love. And if we don't love people, that means if we're not patient with people, we don't even know God. Amen? Preach is so good. In, in March of this year, I had a, a situation where I couldn't catch my breath. It's weird. I thought I had asthma. My wife said, you're going to the doctor. So finally, after two months of not being able to breathe, I went to the doctor. And he said, well, your heart's in AFib. I said, well, what's that? Well, the top heart's just kind of fluttering. Where it's the bottom, it's not, it's not in sync. It's like, oh, that's a picture of the church. The church in America's heart's in AFib, man. We're not beating in sync with the heart of the Father. Therefore, there's no surge of energy. There's no surge of the cleansing power of God's blood because the heart's not in sync with God. So I'm in this hospital, and I'm mad. I'm complaining. What's this, God? Because I'm no different than the children of Israel when a circumstance hits. Come on, you guys. And that first day in the hospital, I'm complaining. I'm afraid. Did you know that when you complain, you're afraid? I'm afraid. What's wrong with me? Because I'm trying to be healthy. And God, how can I have heart problems if I'm trying to be healthy? I'm preaching really good. They started taking my blood every three hours to see if I'm in a heart attack. And I wasn't. They checked for clots. I don't have any. They said, well, how long have you had this? Well, I know it's been at least two months. Really? Why didn't you come to the doctor? Well, I didn't think there's anything wrong. But now they're telling me, well, man, you could have strokes. And you need to get up, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, well, that doesn't help me feel better because I'm complaining. I'm griping. I'm not sharing Christ. I got the worst roommate on the planet. This guy's pooping his pants, and he's crazy. The guy's crazy next to me. And if I wasn't complaining, if I was in the spirit... My heart would be going out to that guy, and I'd try to lay hands on him, but I'm upset that he's a roommate. I'm not saying nothing to him. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So about 3 o'clock that night, you know, I had to stay two nights in the hospital, and the doctors are telling me, well, we'll do some stuff. What we'll probably do is just shock you. And that's, a, that's comforting. You know, I watch TV, clear. <clears throat> you know, I don't like that. Come on, man. One doctor said, hey, you ready to ride the white lightning? I said, man, change the way you talk about that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, and I don't like having my blood drawn. When my wife and I got married in 1980 when they checked, you know, they used to draw your blood to make sure you weren't marrying your sister, I guess. I had no idea. <laughs> and I remember when they drew, when they, when they drew I passed out. Okay? I don't like needles. So when I get my blood drawn, it's like I have to talk so I can't hear them. What the, I can't hear the tubes. And I close my eyes. I, I, it closed my eyes in good enough because I might peek. So I look the other way and just 
So they're checking my blood every three hours. I'm like, I don't even care. I don't even care now because I'm mad because I don't know why I'm in the hospital. And three in the morning, the Holy Spirit comes to me. You know what he said? He said, hey, remember 21 years ago when you got hit by the semi and you're in the hospital and you had to live in a hospital bed for a whole year? Remember how grateful you were? Remember how much you were so thankful that I was with you? Remember how every day was the most exciting day because it was a new day? And remember how you thought I was enough? And I wish you remembered that. That's what he was telling me. I wish you remembered that. And so immediately I just started repenting because I remembered it. I was impatient because I'm in the hospital for two days, you know, and Come on, you guys. And the Holy Spirit is so kind to me. He, just, he didn't hit me. He didn't yell at me. He says, I wish you could remember what it was like when I was enough. So I repented. I woke up at 6 in the morning. And they came in for my blood. The first, the first gal that came in, I said, can I pray for you? She goes, why? I love you. I love Jesus. He loves you, man. It's awesome. So I held her hand. The nurse comes in. I'm your new nurse. Hi, can I give my testimony? Sure. Hour later, she's bawling. New nurse comes in. Hey, your husband left you. You're really having to be tough. Your daughter's prayed over her. For the whole second day, I wasn't complaining. Now I'm back in love. So that night, they go, okay, you ready to get shocked? I said, I'm ready. I'm not afraid now. <laughs> Why? Because when you're in the spirit, there's no fear in love. Come on, you guys. There's no fear in love. There's only fear when you're in your flesh. And so I go down to this other wing and get in this little room. We had to wait for three hours, but I'm patient. I'm patient because I'm back in love. Come on, you guys. And so they finally come in. There's one, two, three doctors, an anesthesiologist, four nurses in this little tiny room. It's just so funny. I asked the one doctor, I said, now, doctor, I just have one question. Does this, does this procedure work most of the time? That's all I wanted to say. Just, it's okay to say that. And he says, yeah, we've been doing it since the 80s. It works great. I said, okay, good. So there's not any bad experiences? No, this works pretty good. I said, okay, can I take one liberty? And Sure, what is that? Can you all hold hands? Why? I just want to pray over you first before you shock me. That's what I said. So I grabbed... I grabbed both the doctor's hands, that were, the nurse and the nurse, then everybody else held hands. I just prayed the glory on them, that God would, enco- would encounter them and Jesus' love would touch them. And they all thanked me, and then they put me to sleep. You know, they put that stuff. They, she said, count back from 100. I said, 100, 199. Boom. That's all I remember. Come on. So I woke up. I was alive. So I got to go home. I got to go home that day. And hadn't, I haven't had any problems, you know, it's been almost four months. But what I love is when I left, my nurses gave me cards. We don't want you to leave. We never had a patient like this. Thank you for pouring into us. Thank you for praying for me. And the first day, it was all about me. But after the encounter with the Holy Spirit, it was all about what God could do through me. Come on, you guys. What self-centered, selfish people that were called of God to show his glory to the, to the human race did, they failed to do in 40 whole years. Jesus pulled off in 40 days. So, listen, same wilderness, same temptation, same demonic influence, but Jesus went in selfless for what he could do for us and the Father, and they went in self-centered for what God could do for them. Amen? Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 21. The people spoke against God and Moses. I said, I don't like that when people start talking about God and talking about preachers. And Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. You say, well, I don't know why God would do that, because they were under the law of sin and death. Do you get it? Old covenant. The old covenant was you had to do to get. I'm going to say something now that may make some of you upset, but that's okay. 
look at me. It's really okay. But when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, unless you forgive, your Father won't forgive you, that was in the Old Covenant. Because Jesus hadn't died and been resurrected and poured out the Spirit yet, that was still you had to do to get. If you go to Colossians 3.13, you forgive now because he's forgiven you. In other words, you become forgiveness. Let me, let me, say, this, let me say this very, very clearly. In John 20.22, 20, right after Jesus resurrected from the dead and put his blood on the mercy seat and he came back to earth and he found him in a room because they were afraid and he appeared in the midst of them and he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. Now come in here. I want to give you this new covenant. I want to pour the Spirit on you because you can't be one of mine unless you're born of the Spirit, right? So he breathed on them and he said, receive you the Holy Spirit. And the next verse says, when you forgive others their sins, they'll be forgiven. He doesn't forgive us so we can get out of here and go to heaven. He forgives us so we can become forgiveness. He forgives us so we can become mercy. The hope of glory. Come on, you guys. Christ is in us. The hope is he'll get out of us. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And love covers a multitude of sins. And unless you lose your life, all you got is your life. But if you lose your life, all you have is his life. And he is love. Amen, church? So these serpents, man, they're under the law of sin and death. And these serpents are they're killing God's people. And so the people came to Moses, verse 7. And they said, we've sinned because we have spoken against the Lord. And you intercede with the Lord that he could take away these serpents. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on this lamp, this pole, this standard. And it'll, it'll come about that everyone that it bites, when he looks at this, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit anybody, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. That's an interesting thing. I don't understand that at all unless the Lord helps you, except the Hebrew people understand it because they're following Moses, right? And if you look at Deuteronomy 21, it says that anything that's ever put on a pole is cursed of God. And so the serpent, they understood that if it was put on that pole, that means God cursed it. And if God cursed it, it has no longer power over you. The thing that's hurting you has no power once God curses it. It's like Jesus. Come on, you guys. He gets put on that pole. And it pleased the Father that... See, I, when I was holding little Benji this morning, when you guys were worshiping, I was having the best worship I've ever had in my entire life. I was holding my grandson, man. And he was enamored with you. He was, he was blown away with you. He kept going. Because he sensed something, see. But I don't know if it would please me to put all the sin of the world on my grandson. So I don't still know the depths of God's love for us. If it pleased him to crush his own son so that we didn't have to be crushed, all the wrath of God was satisfied in one sacrifice, so he died once for all so that we could die once for all and live forever. Come on, you guys. And so he, he becomes sin on that pole in which everything that was killing us was sin. Come on, you guys. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is sickness, disease, illness, depression. Come on, depravity. And everything that was killing us was put on him, and it was cursed. So now it has no power of us if we could just believe we would see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? Amen. Go back to John 3, and I'll wrap this up. John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, in the same way must the Son of Man be lifted up. Hmm. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. 
Susie, you told me today your husband died six months ago. Was he a Christian? He's alive forever. Yeah. See, I believe the word of God that once we become a new creature, we never die. In Hebrews it says that Jesus' sacrifice destroyed the last enemy, which was the fear of death. And if I realize right now whether my heart's good or bad, that's not the issue. I never die. That means the enemy has nothing to tempt me with because there's no fear left. Because perfect love, listen, perfect love casts out all fear. Whoa. Look at verse 16. Everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. I love this. I love this book, man. It's all about believing. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. I believe that's the part of our covenant that is the forgiveness and the cleansing of our spirit and our soul. We can have eternal life. Aren't you glad that it starts right now? We don't have to die to get into it. We have eternal life right now. But the next verse is where I want to end. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be sozo through him. So verse 16 is for your forgiveness and cleansing. Verse 17 is for your wholeness and your healing. And you can't separate them. Come on, you guys. God wants to forgive our sins so that we're born again, so we have brand new creatures and we never die, but he wants to heal our bodies and our emotions so that we can represent him well. But we got to believe. i got to tell you one story. I'm doing pretty good, aren't I, on time? What time is it? It matters. It matters. God's interested in numbers. That's why there's a book called Numbers. <laughs> now, li- listen to this. La- last year, um, I- I- I'll talk just for five minutes and I'm done. Then we're going to see what the Holy Spirit would like to do with you good people. I believe that hope is where faith starts. Okay? Um, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance of what you hope for. So if you have no hope, there's no substance of faith where faith starts, okay? So you have to have biblical hope that will lead you to biblical faith. Now, faith is believing that God's word is truth because you don't only read the word, you hear the word come alive, and you hear the words of Christ, and it becomes a living word, right? And you believe that, you believe that this word, now listen, you believe that this word is a greater reality than what you're going through. That's faith. Come on. Faith. That his circumstance is greater than all of our circumstances. That what he did on the cross is greater than anything we'll ever go through. That's faith, right? But belief, now listen to this. Belief, that's what you end up in if you stay in biblical faith. Belief is a perspective that you live from, that you're fully convinced, you're fully persuaded, there's no doubt in any part of your life that it's not God's will to do what you're believing for. And that'll only come from biblical faith that starts in biblical hope. It's not worldly hope. I don't believe in that. Worldly hope is, well, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. And that's not even biblical because Romans says that all the promises of God are yes, not maybe will. They're yes. And it's to the glory of God through us. So somebody's got to believe to see the glory of God. And to believe means you have to be in faith. And to be in faith means you have to start in biblical hope. Not human hope trying to get you out of a circumstance, but biblical hope trying to allow God's presence to permeate your circumstance. Which will end up in belief. In Mark 11, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. If you, if you believe and you don't doubt, you can say that mountain move and it'll move. And it's in red letters. so if you believe it has to move if it doesn't move you probably ought to keep believing come on 
If it doesn't move, you probably ought to keep speaking because the moment you stop, you're susceptible to complaining, grumbling, fear, depression, anxiety, and hopelessness, and you grow weary in well-doing instead of growing strong in your faith. Am I right, you church? So, so last year, I'm in so much pain. I, I, you guys, some of you know my story. I was hit by this truck 21 years ago, and I've been in pain for 21 years. And the bad thing that happened to me was um, when I spent that first year in the hospital bed, it affected my thyroid, and I lost my metabolism. And so I gained 200 pounds, and I just never could get it off for 21 years, no matter what kind of diet I did, because I didn't have a metabolism. And so... You know, I've been to a thousand churches in the last nine years in pain. And what's crazy is I see miracles happening in everybody, and I don't get mine. And Hebrews 13, 12 says, when hope is deferred, it makes the heart grow sick. So that's why you got to stay in biblical hope, because if you stay in biblical hope, you don't just stay in hope, it gets into faith and belief. You hear what I'm saying? When you stay in hope without it becoming the reality of what God's word says over your 21-year delay, that's when your heart gets sick and out of your heart flows life. Come on, you guys. And if your heart's sick, life can't flow. So I'm in, I'm in, it was November of last year, and I was in Hawaii preaching, and I was in so much pain. I said, God, I can't continue doing it. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. And I was complaining. Because of hope deferred. Come on, you guys. Because I was in pain. Pain's real. It changes your perspective. If you're not in the spirit, pain will take people down. Now, I remember I, I, I went to sleep, took a nap, and in this nap, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw this white Mercedes van with a kitchen. And a lady was cooking for me. And I lost weight. And I didn't have pain. What? I woke up. I went to the last night of the revival, this tent revival. They had six or seven churches this last night. I was in so much pain. But I flew home that night after the service, got to Oregon, drove Saturday down to start my next meeting. And I was hurting so bad that Saturday night when I got to my hotel room that I barely got to my room and I laid on the bed and I was shaking in pain. You said, well, what's wrong with you? Well, I, got hit, I got hit by a semi. And my back and my hips, my knees, my feet was just in constant pain. And so I'm laying there in the bed and I said, God, what am I going to do? He goes, you got to trust me. And that's really what belief is. Belief is just radical trust in how good he is and how much he loves you. And he promised he would never forsake you. He promised he would never leave us. He said, I will be with you yes, to the very end. Yes. And when you're in faith, then your belief leads you to that reality. But when you're in hopelessness, you're hoping for that. You get it, you guys? You get this? So I got up Sunday and I preached in pain. I had to sit down the whole time. Sunday after church, we went to these people's house. And I, I noticed when we drove in, there's a white Mercedes tall van in the driveway. This is awesome. Hope came back. Listen. There's this verse in Job chapter 14. I think it's verse 9. It's talking about when a dead tree dies, there's hope for it because at the scent of water. It says at the scent of water, it will flourish and bud again. What is that? He's the rain of the spirit. Come on. He's the water of life. He's the river of life. And that river's in us. And when hope comes alive, all, listen, all you got to have is a scent of water. You don't even have to feel the rain when you know he's real. When you know he's real. In fact, I think that would solve all of our problems if we really believed he was real. So I see this van. It's like, whoa. I walked inside. There's this lady cooking. Her name's Kathy. I'd met her in July. Her and her husband flew to, to hear me preach in Denver in July, and her husband got healed. It's so cool when God heals people, because then they like you. And, <laughs> and I looked at Kathy, 
And I said, Kathy, you need to help me get healthy. That's all I said. And she ran out from behind the kitchen counter and she hugged me and she's bawling. And she goes, God called me to get you healthy the first week of July. I was afraid to ask you because I didn't want to offend you. I didn't know how you would take it. And so I've been praying every day. And she goes, this is the greatest answer to prayer besides my kids and my faith in Jesus that you would ask me. And she's just weeping. And I would never have asked her unless God showed me in that dream and then showed me the Mercedes in the driveway and he gave me the scent of water to where hope sprung up again. And when hope comes alive, now your heart's not sick. Come on. Now there's faith being built. And faith ends up in belief, which is perspective that you're coming from heaven's realm instead of living from earth's realm. I'm preaching good, you guys. And, and so, so listen to me. November 27th, I got hope in my soul. I don't even know how to describe this. I can't find it in the Bible. But I got hope in my soul, and I knew I was healed. 21 years, I didn't know how it would ever happen. I prayed for other people. They always got healed. But my hope was deferred for myself. And so I just lived this silent life of, well, that's just my cross. But I never could find a scripture to back it up. <laughs> Except I tried to make my own theology up so I wouldn't feel convicted about my hopeless state. And so you go forward now almost seven months. And I've lost over 115 pounds. And I don't have to sit down anymore when I preach. And I walk with no pain. I have a, I have a hip that needs to be probably new someday because of my car wreck. But there's no pain. And... I'm wondering, I'm wondering this morning, Cornerstone, if you're living in hope deferred in the areas of your life that you think, well, maybe that's never going to happen because it's been so long, or if you want to get back into belief this morning that it could happen at any moment. There's no middle ground in Christianity. Either we're in faith and love, right? Come on. Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. So real faith only works through love anyway, which means there's no fear involved. Come on. Because love gets rid of fear, so you're in faith. Or we're in some form of godliness that's stampering Christ being made manifest through us. And that's maybe why we don't have the indictment given us every day. God must be with you because they can't see the God that's in you because your emotions are keeping him in confinement. And maybe this morning would be a good morning to give God those areas of your life that it's been so long, you don't know how God could ever turn it around. But maybe this morning you could have the scent of water. Come on. Maybe it's a dream that you have. Maybe it's a vision for ministry. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a physical condition. Maybe it's your finances. I don't care. There's no area too hard for God. And so this morning, this is, if somebody wants to play the piano, or is she gone? Here, Chad's up here. He's got it. It's my son. Would you just get real with God? It'd be good. Seriously, if there's an area of your life that's dry, and it keeps you focused on you instead of focused on him and what he's doing through you, wouldn't that be a good area to surrender back to God today? Seriously. Just give it back to God and say, God, I don't want to live in hope deferred. I don't want to live in discouragement. I don't want to live in complaining. I want to be grateful for every breath. Come on. I want to be grateful for everything. So if you want your life healed again, would you come to the altar and kneel right now? Come on. If you need to give an area of your life to God, just come on. Don't wait for somebody else. Just please come. And let's just let God refresh our soul, refresh our spirit. Give us life again. Let's get rid of the discouragement. Let's get rid of the complaining. 
Come on, church. So good. So good. Can you guys move off the front row so people can sit there? They're coming down to pray. If you can't kneel in the front, you can sit on the front row, you guys. There's still three or four coming down the stairs. You guys can sit down front here. Jesus, I want you to heal our souls. I want you to heal our souls. Lord, Hebrews 10 says if we shrink back, that's when we're destroyed. But if we believe, our souls are saved. And Lord, we love you today. That's why we're here. But we want our emotions to believe what our hearts know to be true. Lord, our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. It's what we feel. We want that to be healed today. We want the salvation, the soteria of our souls today. We want the soteria of our souls, our minds, the way we think, our emotions, the way we feel, our will that is totally yielded to you, God. We want to, we want to be healed in our feeling, our soul. Second Peter 1.9 says you're receiving the goal of your faith, the soteria of your soul. So God, heal our souls. If our hearts are full of hope, if our hearts are full of love, if our, if our mind, if our emotions are full of what you are doing, God, no circumstance can discourage us. It's just a springboard to greater anointing. It's just a springboard to greater revelation. So wash over your boys and girls, God, right now. Wash over your sons and daughters. Let them have a scent of water. Restore the joy of our salvation. Lord, you came to forgive us and to heal us. Let us receive the deep healing so that all these physical symptoms, God, can be taken care of because we believe way down in our soul. Do a deep work, Father. Do a deep work, Father. Do a deep work. Do a deep work, Father. Do a deep work, Father. Every one of your children, God, heal our souls. Heal our souls. Take us out of looking at ourselves, God, and get our vision back on you, God. Let us be free from holding on to one life so that there's unlimited life. Lord, you said if we would believe, we'd see your glory. Let this be a house of belief so your glory could cover the whole central coast, all of Santa Maria. Go deeper, God, I pray. Please go deeper in our hearts today. So there's no fear, there's no reservations, there's just reckless, abandoned faith and trust in you, Father. We give up those areas, God, that we don't know how to fix. We, we don't have to know how. You're the fixer, you're the healer. That's what you are. Your nature is healing. Your character is forgiveness and mercy and wholeness. That's what you are. So we give up our mindsets that are fighting your mind. We're not going to look back. We're going to look ahead. We're going to get our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the perfecter of our faith. Do a deeper work, God. Do a deeper work, God. Make it real, God. Let us have the scent of water. Let us know that breakthrough's right here. You are the breakthrough. Let us know we're in you and you're in us. Supernatural explosion of hope that leads to an overflowing biblical faith tsunami that gets people into the realm of believing again so that we see your glory. 
so that we see your glory. Let us grasp how much you love us, Father. Would you help us to comprehend the love that you have for us? How great the love the Father has lavished on us. We're sons and daughters. Nothing can separate us from that love. So Lord, if our minds are wrong, we repent. If there's sin, we repent. We just want... We want intimacy. We want oneness with you, God. If we get you, we have it all. So we love you, Jesus. Thanks for showing us it's possible to live by the Spirit. No matter what you face, it's possible to stay in the Spirit. So we just revel in you. We we romance in you. We... We flourish in you. We have abundant in you. We're abundant, Father. We're over the top more than conquerors. Nothing can stop you. You got our families. You got our lost loved ones. You have our marriages. You have our bodies. You have everything. It's all yours. We're not going to look back. We're going to keep our eyes on the one that's making us more and more like him every moment we breathe air becoming more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.